Hi there, it's Shelby Alexander, and welcome to the Spiritual Journey Podcast, a place where we explore the spiritual nature of this human experience and how to live happy, free, and thrive together. Hey there, it's great to be with you all. Shelby here, and I'm so excited to be sharing this podcast episode with you today. As many of you know, I've been in sabbatical mode since early September, and it's been super healing, rejuvenative, and has had lots of learning and impact in it. And one of my greatest learnings is that um, from sabbatical mode, what it feels like to be creating purely for the sake of play, joy, and service, and not being motivated to create for money or for a means to an end. And it's been one of the greatest freedoms I feel I've been gifted from this time and is a huge, huge part due to the support from my partner and just the encouragement to to really step into that that pool, that that big ocean of freedom and not really knowing what I'll be called to do and not having a million things on my to-do list and to surrender to letting myself be surprised and delighted by what I feel called toward. So one of the things that I've been called toward during the sabbatical has been writing, writing and writing and writing. And many of you know that I love writing. I've always loved writing. I had a little bit of imposter syndrome in calling myself a writer, but I think I am quickly getting over that given I've been showing up to write almost every single morning um, for this month. And it's something that has so much learning impact in the process of it. But for one of my one of my soulful goals has always been to write a book, not for the book sales, not for really anything other than just my own sense of expression and sharing something that might be of service to someone somewhere. And I've been committing to sitting down and writing every morning um, for the for the past couple of weeks. And it's, it's been amazing. So this podcast episode is my rough draft of my first chapter of my first book. And I don't know if that's something you're supposed to do is like share, (laughs) share the first chapter, um, especially rough draft version, but it's just I, I think a lot of times, like many, I can get in my own way of trying to make things be perfect and really just block, block my own creativity from getting out into the world. And so in the spirit of doing that differently, today I felt like recording myself reading aloud chapter one, which has also been really helpful from just an editing standpoint. Um, but I wanted to share it. I wanted to record it and I wanted to share it. And I'd love to know what you think, if it moves you, if it resonates, if it doesn't, um, any feedback in the comments below is absolutely welcomed. And with that, I hope you enjoy big love. For the first time in human history, more people than ever before have their basic needs provided for. And yet the rate at which we're leaving the planet, taking our own lives, suffering from depression, anxiety, and mental health is at an all-time high. Suicide is now considered a leading cause of death by the CDC. Did you know suicide claims more lives than war, murder, and natural disasters combined? It is more common today for someone to know someone under the age of 54 who's committed suicide 
than it is to know someone who's died from heart disease, diabetes, or HIV. We live in a time of technological advancement, information, and the ability to solve many of the world's major problems. Many of the problems that humans endured and suffered from throughout history. Yet people are wanting to leave the planet at an increasing rate more than ever before. I had my first suicidal thoughts when I was 22. I moved to Chicago to live and work in the big city. I was in my first quote unquote real job out of college. I was ecstatic. I had made it, I thought. I had graduated with honors from a small liberal arts school called Elma College, where I had played college volleyball, double majored, and received scholarships for choir and theater. I was the chronic good girl. I had worked tirelessly my senior year with alumni to become well-networked and finally land myself a job in business, a job I was proud of. My family doesn't come from business. I'm from a lineage of coaches, teachers, farmers, and service men and women. So this was really new territory for me, and I was so excited. I was breaking into a world that I thought would give, my, give me things my family never had. That would be able to pay for my kid's college, should I want that. That would provide me with the ability to travel to places I had never been, meet and work with leaders doing amazing things in the world. My first job was with a company called Aon Hewitt a Fortune 500 benefits administration company located in Lincolnshire, Illinois. A relatively unsexy company that you may or may not have heard of, but if you have heard of them, you probably know of them because they manage your health benefits or because you're a soccer fan and their name is on the Manchester United jerseys. Anywho, I digress. I was hired to be a part of Aon's leadership program. A program I soon learned was made to glorify a very normal entry-level position into appealing to new business majors out of college. I arrived at 8 a.m. I'd sit at my desk working through problems the call center couldn't figure out about benefits policies. Then I'd take my 30 to 45 minute lunch break and return to problem solving on a mainframe computer software program until I left at about 6 p.m. Black screen lime green blinky cursor. Oh yeah. Lincolnshire is a small suburb outside of Chicago. I commuted 26 miles from my apartment in the city in Lakeview to my office. I soon learned that 26 miles could take anywhere from 45 minutes to two hours, depending on if the Cubs were playing. As a former college athlete, sitting all day from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., sometimes 8 p.m., had a huge and unforeseen impact on me. Not to mention the work felt completely underwhelming. I wasn't stimulated, learning or growing into anything that made my heart happy. Needless to say, five months into the program, I was experiencing my first bout of serious depression. Six months into the program, I would often think about driving my car into the underpass on the freeway on my commute home. I told myself this was normal and kept my struggle to myself. I called this adulting. Deep down, I was absolutely crushed. Is this really what I had worked so hard for? Is this what I stayed up late in the library studying for to make honors? Is this why I was a three-sport athlete, student council member, choir, advanced drama, to sit at a desk all day and feel miserable all day? You see, I was taught to work hard, 
to aspire to get a good job that paid well, that could help me create the life of my dreams. I felt like I had bought into a dream that was now becoming my waking nightmare. I was so angry. I was angry at the world, my parents, my mentors, everyone who had promoted this path. I felt duped, tricked, and completely lost. But mostly, I felt heartbroken, disappointed, and desperate to feel better. I didn't want to be here if this is what life was going to be like. What's worse is that many of the people I confided in about how I was feeling quote unquote pretty down had somehow seemed to accept this reality for me and for themselves as normal. Oh, they'd say, it's just like this for a couple of years. You just have to grind it out. And then once you're promoted and then promoted again, it gets better. But I wondered silently, what would the toll be of living four more years with a wilting soul? I didn't want to wait to find out. And the truth is, I didn't think I was strong enough to endure it. I remember driving home one night from work and feeling so mad at myself about how depressed I was becoming. Why did I feel this way? I had everything I needed. I was a remarkably blessed person. I had an apartment in the city, running clean water, food, my physical health and healthcare coverage, decent roommates, clothes on my back, a working and reliable car, clean air, warm shoes, a loving family, an amazing boyfriend, solid friends. I was making around 60K and at 22 years old had already surpassed many of the standards my peers and I were taught to desire from my small town high school in Roscommon, Michigan. Yet here I was crying in my car again, alone at 8 p.m. in the parking structure, wondering if I might just want to not be here, if it might just be better to no longer feel what I was feeling and to be here. I felt so guilty about the suicidal thoughts I was having and kept my sorrow to myself. The thoughts continued at a more regular frequency, but I was a good kid. So I didn't share my struggle to stay here on earth with anyone else, not fully. I didn't really know how to, to be honest. I also didn't know much about therapy or mental wellness support options at the time, not to mention therapy in the early 2000s was often usually joked about in my family or alluded to as a place to go if you're broken. But I was not broken. The world was broken and I didn't want to be in it. The CDC defines suicide as, quote unquote, death caused by injuring oneself with the intent to die. Why, during a time when humanity has this much comfort, technological, technological advancements, peace, and our basic needs provided for, do so many people have the intent to die? This is a question I feel deserves massive attention. Did you know suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States? And in 2019, was responsible for nearly 50,000 deaths, which equates to one death every 11 minutes. And that according to the World Health Organization, more than 700,000 people die from suicide around the world every year. 700,000 people choose to end their life. From 1999 to 2019, suicide increased 33%, 33%. 
And for every person who actually commits suicide, the number of people who think about or attempt it is even higher. In 2019, 12 million American adults were recorded as having serious thoughts of suicide. And that's only what's recorded. My thoughts were never recorded. And after having spoken to some of my friends about my struggle, I learned they too experienced something very similar and never told a soul about it. They lived silently with their struggles, just like me. Today, more people die around the world from suicide than from malaria. What's even more mind-blowing and heartbreaking is that suicide is the second leading cause of death for people ages 10 to 34. The top three leading causes of death in children ages one through nine are number one, accidents or unintentional injuries. Number two, congenital malformations, deformations, abnormalities from chromosomes. Number three, cancer. But by the age of 10 years old, suicide and self-harm jumps to the second leading cause of death. Children ages 10 to 14 are more likely to die from suicide than from cancer. These are young people whose lives have barely even begun that would rather leave the planet than stay. Results from the 2019 Youth Behavioral Risk Factor Surveillance System show that once a child enters high school, the rates increase. 18% of high school students seriously considered attempting suicide and nearly 9% actually attempted it. The young people of the world by age 10 are struggling to want to stay here. This sets my soul on fire. To know that at the age when most of us feel free to fully dream, play, and live our life without massive responsibilities, they'd rather not. This not only breaks my heart, but it highlights a significant problem we're facing societally. Over 50% of all people who die from suicide suffer from major depression. Though many believe depression is clinical and can be solved with medication, I have to wonder, how are we in a place where depression has become the norm? If you include alcoholics who are using alcohol as a means of coping with their depression, the figure of 50% of people who die from suicide suffering from major depression increases to 75%. 25 million Americans suffer from depression each year. We live in a time where numbing out with drugs and alcohol feels better than being sober to our life. And we don't just numb out with drugs and alcohol. We numb out with Netflix, sugar, doom scrolling on social media, shopping, etc. For many, these substances are our vice. They've been my vice. And they've often felt like a better solution than being present to my own life. Present to our life. When did it become so hard to be alive? Especially in a time when many of us feel this, who, when many of us who feel this way are blessed to live with modern luxuries and comforts. What has our lifestyle become? When did we collectively agree that we're here to endure our life rather than to enjoy it? One thing is very clear to me, the modern lifestyle, the modern goals, material successes are not supporting a happy, purposeful and fulfilled life. No one commits suicide or feels depressed because they're too happy, fulfilled or aligned with their purpose. No, we feel alone, 
disconnected from the natural world and each other, internally suffering quietly, depressed. The cost of feeling purposeless is too high. Every suicide is an absolute tragedy. The pain that one endures to bring themselves to a place of wanting to end their life is a suffering like no other. Not to mention the pain and suffering created for the loved ones left behind. Did you know about 50% of people in the United States know someone who has died from suicide in their lifetime? I know three and I'm 30. Suicide is devastating, a heartbreaking loss that affects families, communities, and the entire world. Not just because of the loss of life, but because of the loss of dreams. Each person brought to this earth carries within them a light in their heart filled with dreams and desires that when fulfilled, help bring the world forward. Our purpose is to find out what those are and to share them boldly with the world. When a beautiful being is not supported by the world to feel into and find what enlivens their heart, we start to feel pain. We disconnect from ourselves to avoid the pain. We numb, we run, we feel depressed because we're not doing what lifts us up, what we're uniquely programmed to love and give. The world tells us to go to work at the job we hate, to make the money so we can provide, to be a certain way so that we'll fit in. Meanwhile, the dreams encoded in the fabric of our beings, the very thing that will make us feel the most fulfilled, lie neglected in our hearts, screaming to break free, to be shared with the world. We're not designed to follow someone else's version of what we think we should be or do. And when we do, we feel like we're dying because we are. Our soul on the inside is wilting. We are designed to look into ourselves, our own heart as our guide for our directions to our unique path to fulfillment, purpose, and freedom. I do not believe people are broken. I do not believe depression is normal, a clinical problem, an imbalance some people are just born with and need to learn to live with. People suffering from suicidal thoughts, depression, and addictions aren't broken. They're sensitive as fuck. They're feeling something so intensely. There's a desire to numb out with substances or eject from the world entirely to avoid feeling the pain of what it feels like for them to be sensitive in the modern world. They're not broken, the world is. As crazy as it may sound to someone who's never experienced this kind of pain, numbing out or wanting to end your life feels like a smart, even logical solution when you are a deeply sympathetic person who no longer wants to experience the reality of what it means to be human in our modern world. What if suicide was actually a normal, dare I say, healthy response from an open heart living in today's world? So many creators, visionaries, and dreamers throughout history have suffered with what we call mental health, not because they were broken, but because they were brilliant. They were freedom fighters, truth tellers, deep feelers, visionaries with open hearts. Van Gogh openly struggled with depression his art has lasted the times and touched so many people because it captures the reality of the world, the dark and the light, 
the contrast, the intensity of what it means to be alive. Van Gogh's brilliance was in his ability to feel deeply, to open himself fully to the truth of the world, the depths of the human heart, with all its pain and boundless capacity to love. My wish for those feeling more than they think they can bear is to remember that you are a great asset to our collective. You are heroic for waking up and choosing to live another day as a deep feeler, for feeling your pain and staying through it all. Pain can be one of our greatest teachers and there's a great reward. It's a motivator to create a better world. And on the other side of our pain often lies the greatest gift of empathy, compassion, and a desire to truly, genuinely, authentically help those who have suffered from the same things we have. I have never met a hero who didn't know pain, who didn't know or endure a long dark night of the soul. More and more humans are coming into the world as deep feelers than ever before. The babies of our times are so sensitive. This is on purpose. They're meant to help us bring in a more tender and loving world to move us forward heart first, to push us toward collective evolution instead of destruction, as each generation does in their own way. The question for us is how will we help them? What will the cost of maintaining the old rules of the mundane, following and forcing upon them the status quo, teaching them how to be good little girls and boys rather than true, injecting upon them the version of quote unquote success most of us were taught to aspire to rather than empowering them to discover who they are and be it more fully in the world. Children today are so incredibly open, open to feeling the bliss and the pain, open to believing in a better world and willing to courageously dream it up. They are the miracles we've been praying for. I believe they will solve many of our climate issues, racism, prejudices, and religious conflicts, but they can't do it alone. Depression, alcoholism, addictions, numbing out, and the pain that motivates suicide are reasonable solutions to a sensitive person enduring a broken world and symptoms of a much bigger root problem. The root is that we've forgotten why we're here, the big why. We lack the spiritual context behind why we work so hard for what we have, create, be, and do. In order to help ourselves feel purposeful and the upcoming generation evolve us forward, we need to remember and learn from our mistakes and understand how we've become so disconnected from what we want from the natural world and the truth in our hearts. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know it was a little bit different than what I normally record um, with the podcast guest or even the ones that I do solo. But again, it felt really important for me to share, especially during this time, during the fall season. We enter November. We enter a time where many of us are experiencing deaths of the old versions of ourselves and a real letting go. And I think it's important to remember during these times, during the time of season where it literally is becoming more dark than it is light outside, those those truths, those hard to be with truths of what it means to be human in the world and what this human experience 
can often include the pain, the hardship, the dark souls, the dark nights of the soul. And for me, there's, I, I, with this book, I don't intend to create anything that's extraordinarily brilliant or has never been done before. You know, a lot of the teachings and, and wisdom that I share are certainly things that are already in the collective consciousness today. But I think the way in which I share them is hopefully something that feels true to those that needed to hear it and hopeful and honest. And so I hope that this resonated with you and, and hit the mark on those three things. And one of the things that I'll leave you with is that I have been feeling really called to get my podcast going again, mostly because I crave these conscious conversations and just being in connection with you all. So next week I will be beginning to share some new podcast episodes that have felt very fun and playful and not like work at all. And that has been the goal for me during this sabbatical. So I hope you stay tuned and enjoy. Big love always.